Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody. It's Bob again. I've got Contagious Culture show up set the tone and intentionally create an organization that thrives. And I've got Anise Cavanaugh with me today. Anise, thanks for coming on the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, so um, it's interesting. Every now and again, I'll get a, a spat of books that are under the same topic. And I just realized that uh, I'm going to be talking with a couple of people today. And it's both about HR. Do you consider your book an HR book or more of a lifestyle book? Uh, I consider it a kind of a combination and more, I would lean more towards lifestyle and personal leadership, which has a humongous impact on HR and talent. Mm. That's interesting because uh, when you say personal leadership, nobody thinks like that. They think I'm the leader. I've got all these people to lead, but nobody takes responsibility for leading themselves. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are, oh, I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to read this book, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) But not a lot of people say, you know what, what's, what is my problem? What's the, the, the system? And that's really what this book's about is, is making the big decision of I'm going to take responsibility for myself and enhance my organization because I'm conscious of myself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think you're you're spot on with that. I, so many times when I'll go work with an organization or someone will come to me, they're looking externally at mm. the leadership around them and the people around them and how they need to lead them better. And what's really funny is they're missing the gold, which is the gold is in leading ourselves first. So the stronger those people are that want to be better leaders in their organization, the stronger they are with leading themselves and having really great self-awareness and presence and all this they can save so much time and become that much more impactful. And it's easier because they're really managing themselves versus versus having to manage other people's leadership. Well, it's interesting you say easier, but actually I think it's probably harder because it's much easier to tell somebody, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. But when yeah. you've got to sit down and actually say, hey, Bob, you got to, you got to get your shit together. You can't yeah. be doing this again. You know, that's <laughs> the definition of insanity, doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. Yeah. So, What's the hardest thing for a person to do to get their head in the right place before they even start reading the book? I think the hardest thing is realizing that they are responsible Mm. for all the results and everything that's happening around them, the quality of the relationships, the quality of the leadership, that they're actually the one that's responsible for it by the way that they're showing up. And I think telling ourselves that kind of truth and going, okay, wait, actually, I'm the common denominator here, you know, so if I'm not happy about my relationships or my boss or my team or whatever, if I look at, if I look at the center of that, I'm actually the common denominator. So that can be a really hard truth to tell ourselves to go, wait a second, I am the one that's contributing to making things go good or bad. I have a lot of power here. And I think that on one side, Bob, that's really difficult because sometimes that means I have to take more accountability for the results I'm creating. But then on the other side, once you get over that little hump, it's all of a sudden becomes really liberating because now I realize I've got power here. I'm at choice. So no matter how difficult a situation is or no matter what's happening with my team or my relationship, if I am willing to take a moment, look in the mirror and look at how I'm showing up and how I'm contributing to that, all of a sudden I've got all the power in the world to start showing up differently and start influencing that differently. You know, I, I noticed a lot of times, you know, when I was in organizations and we did, uh, we had somebody come in and, and lead the group and, and change the company or, or, or give the company a different focus or for us just to become more aware of that focus. Yeah. Unless the people that had the power were part of that and then believed in it and actually did it, it was a complete waste of everybody's time. Mm-hmm. I find this interesting because the person you have to get permission from isn't the CEO, it's yourself. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it takes that 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 problem away. It, it's like, look at, you know, you read the book, you do the exercises and you will get results. You're not, you know, doing the exercises and then wondering why the CEO isn't doing the same exercises and why did I spend three days learning to make the company a better place when nobody else is getting involved? Oh, well. Now I don't have to do it. Let's go back to the way it was before. 
<laughs> That's great. Well, the thing is that if you try, you can't go back. <laughs> you, once, once you know this information, you can't go back once, especially once you work through like part one and two in the book, you can't really go back to not knowing anymore. Cause now your awareness is up. Your, your jig is up. Like it's, you've been, um, you're now aware of how much influence you have in how that's going to go with the CEO. So for example, once you've actually done that work, you learn that if you come back out and see the CEO and the rest of the leadership team after those three days or after reading the book or whatever, and you're in a place of judgment and going, they're not doing it. Look at this. I'm so evolved. If you're doing that, you're actually contributing to a negatively contagious culture again. And so I, part, part of what happens when we do this work, when we have our workshops, when people work through the book as a team is part of what happens is they start to realize like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much the way I was even viewing leadership or the CEO or the infamous quote unquote, they, you know, we all know the infamous they, um, I didn't realize how much my regard for them was having an impact on my experience in the organization. And so if I can honestly, again, it comes back to me, if I can honestly do my work and look at how's my mindset contributing to helping that CEO show up more, you know, show up better or to contributing to helping things go better in leadership, if I can honestly look at how my mindset and regard is impacting that, then all of a sudden I have a little bit more power again. Let's talk about the title, contagious. Um, yeah. Interesting word. Why contagious? We're always having an impact, always. So even you and I on this call right now, the the way that we're, um, this is what I believe, the way that we're sitting, the way that we're intending towards each other, the way that we're holding the container of this call, the energy of that is contagious. And so people listening to this, they'll be impacted by what they feel um, and what they experience listening to this interview. When you're, you know, this is just a virtual environment we're in right now, but when you're in an organization or you're even in your family, or anybody listening can think about their friends or their team or whatever, and someone starts to you know, they walk into a room and they come in at a really, really low and negative energy or a high energy or whatever, th that energy is contagious. It, it catches on. And there's a rule that I've noticed, um, the rule, I use the word rules, uh, it's, a, it's a strong use of the word, but what I've noticed <laughs> is there's, I believe that the strongest vibration in the room will win. So for example, you walk into a meeting and you've got eight people and six of those people are in a really good space. They're productive. They're getting you know, they're ready to rock and roll. And you've got two people in the room who are just negative. And it just feels like they're completely devoted to sinking the energy of that room. And usually what will happen? Like, what do you notice will happen in that room? Well, basically it'll spiral towards that direction or it'll create frustration, which will enhance the negative, you know, it, 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 it's very easy to set a, a meeting in the wrong direction or the right direction. Absolutely. And that was two people. So that's two people that are able to tank that room. And I, I mean, I've seen this happen so many times. So those two people tank the room. Then everybody walks away from the meeting talking about how horrible meetings are, what a waste of time they are. They start to talk about that. They start to gossip about it. Then that ripples out. And then before you know it, like that's just becoming the culture of that organization is it's like icky from, you know, the meetings don't work. So with those two people, the more I, if I'm in that room or if you're in that room or anybody is in that room, the more we can hold our own state and really stay clean and clear in our own energetic state and how we're showing up, the better chance we have of having those two people start to shift and come out of it. And so that's the contagious part. It's, you know, we're at the, I'm at the grocery store. I, you know, say something nice to the woman in front of me. I give her a little bit of positive energy. She now uh, has a little bit more fuel. She goes and says something nice to, you know, it just, we ripple, we constantly ripple with the impact we have. And I, I think that that's a superpower that if we were, we all have it, every single pe every single human being has a superpower to impact other human beings. And we don't even have to work that hard at it. It's just literally choosing how do I want to show up and what is the impact that I want to have? And that impact will become contagious. Well, you know what's fascinating about that is also um, addictive situations where people miss when you're not in the room. People miss mm. when you're not in the meeting. Say, God, you know, Completely. I wish, you know, Joe was at the meeting that he's always so upbeat and today it just blah, blah, blah. And they, they enhance your actual value to the organization. So, you know, even if you're not motivated uh, for the right reasons, you should be motivated for the reasons that if you're not um, actively conscious and, and actively trying to make the workplace a better place every single day, every single minute by, by yeah. being on your 
honest game. Now, and the other thing too is you got to be authentic. It, it can't yeah. be like, oh, okay, I read the book. Now I'm going to be Mister Positive right. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're right. just going to burn yourself out because then you can be thinking, why the hell am I doing this? This is exhausting. Right. Exactly. Well, and then the thing is, is it's not authentic. And so then you're actually working against yourself because your people, the people around you, they're going to notice. They're going to feel that something's off. They not. They may not know exactly that you went and read the book or did the exercise or whatever, but they're going to know that something's off and you're not you're not being authentic. So, you know, uh, what you make me think about with referencing this character, Joe, is, you know, the opposite applies too with those two guys that are in the room, sinking the room. You also have the experience of the Joe or the Mary or whoever who walks into the room and all of a sudden you feel the room breathe a sigh of relief. You know, safety gets created. It just feels better. And so you want to be, you want to lean towards being more that guy where when you walk into a room, you're automatically a contribution just by being there. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is when people will come and, and speaking to your point about authenticity, they'll come and they'll think that having a positive, energetic presence in an organization means that they have to come in and be super positive and hey there, hi there, ho there, and bouncing off the walls. And it's actually, it's not, it's not what, that's not what I'm looking for with people at all, what I'm looking for is for them to have the quality of presence that's authentic for them, which actually may be very low key and mellow, but they're so present in the room and their intent and their regard for the people in the room is in such service of them that actually their presence in that room is their impact. And they might not even need to say a word, just them being there is what will help create better space to have a better meeting. And I've seen people who I remember I was working with someone a couple months ago and he was like, I've got to say these brilliant things when I'm in my, in my meeting with my team. I've, I'm constantly thinking about what's the next thing I'm going to say. Well, when he's thinking about that, he's not a contribution at all because he's really not present to what's happening in the present moment. And so this gentleman would pop in and say something just so he would look good or just so he could contribute. But the intention was more about making sure that he was contributing and looking good than it was about actually being present and serving what was happening in the room. And what he ended up learning was that if he could go in and just trust that if he went in with positive intent, he did a presence reboot beforehand, he went in and he helped hold the space, he would just trust that he would add value at the right moments without having to worry about getting it all figured out beforehand. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I've been in meetings like that. And and I think the, the thing that frustrates people, especially if you're meeting somebody for the first time, if they're not conscious of you there and their eyes are constantly darting somewhere else, yeah. you can tell it's like, ah, he doesn't, know who I am. He doesn't care who I am. Mm. Me, I'm a little bit more conscious than the average person in a meeting. So I'll address it after the meeting. One of the worst things I think you can do at in a social environment, regardless of where you are, is call a person out because depending if they're reactionary or, or jumped into negative moods or whatever, yeah. um, it's very tough. So how do you handle uh, somebody that's just not present? Yeah, that's so great. It's and I talk I talk about this in the book too. There's I think there's an entire there is I, I actually mm. don't think there's an entire chapter around um, life creating life giving meetings mm -hmm. <laughs> and engagements, and um, one one of the things that you can do to get in front of that is I've had teams start to do. Uh, what I think of as presence checks or energy checks. And the proactive way is you go in, you start that meeting, you you have agreements. You know, you can create agreements as an organization or as a team about how you want to be together in meetings. So, for example, examples of an agreement might be, uh, you know, we're going to have our phones off. Uh, we're all going to be on time. We're going to time integrity is one of my favorite agreements. Um, we're you know it's okay to be where we're at, and we're going to be responsible for our impact. So that's kind of even before you get into the meeting, you can set agreements that serve you and your team um, as a way of kind of a code of conduct, conduct, a code of engagement of how you want to be together. Then when you're actually in that meeting proactively, you know you might if it resonates for your team, you might just do a quick presence check or an energy check where I literally will go around the room and just have everybody just check in. How are you? What do you need? What do you want to get out of today's meeting? And it doesn't have to take long. It can be really, really quick. Uh, the other way to do that is to actually have them check in with their energetic state. So I, again, depending on the team, might say, okay, where's your physical energy at? You know, zero to 10. How are you feeling right now? Because I want to get them present in the room and in touch with how their body's feeling. And, you know, one of the rules is, you know, people think, well, I've got to be at a 10. No, 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 no. You can be at a four. You can be at a three. I just want to know where you're at so that you're aware of where you're at and what you need. 
And then we'll have them check their mental energy. You know, how present are you actually in this room? And again, we're always going for a higher number. But if they're coming in at a three or a four, there might be gold in there. So, you know, if I, if I say, you know, for you and I right now, Bob, if I say, oh, gosh, Bob, you know, I'm at a, a level three right now in my, my mental energy. Um, and, and you give me the space to go, okay, Nice, what do you actually need? Like, how can you bring that up? Um, so that we can have a more productive meeting. I might go, you know, I need to uh, send an email real quick or gosh, you know, I need to really, I need to run and use the bathroom or I need to grab some water, um, you know, or maybe I'm really stressed out about a meeting later today. And my job then as leader becomes to just get present to this moment and trust that I'll take care of that meeting later today um, responsibly after this meeting. You know what I mean? So just having people check in with, you know, how are they feeling? Where's their mental energy at? And then also the third one. I And I think she's gone. Hello. Okay, that's great. You know what? Um, we had a couple of little technical issues and uh, we had this amazing, contagious culture style conversation. And <laughs> just as we were about to say, eh, we'll just do it next week. No big deal. Um, Skype has decided to cooperate. So, you know, it, it's that's a great example of when stuff hits the fan, you don't have to freak out. That's not a, a requested reaction a lot of times. A lot of times it's to be, let's be professional. Let's see what are our options and you know, tick through your options. Then if those options all fail, then it's like, okay, well, let's just reschedule. Do you feel that people um, overreact because they feel that that's what's expected of them? I do. I do. I think that they can overreact. And I think the intention is often so good. I think more than not, the intention of overreacting is really good because people want to do a good job. They want to make sure they show up. They want to make sure they provide value. But the thing that they're missing is in the overreacting, they lose presence. And so if even when, you know, it just hit the fan with you and I with Skype, even just taking a moment to breathe and go, okay, this is not life-threatening. We're not going to die here. We're going to be fine. How do we want to handle this intentionally? Just giving yourself that space and that grace. All of a sudden, you can slow down and then decide how you want to react intentionally. Yeah, and you know, even if you are in a life-threatening situation, yeah, that's right. probably the best state to be in anyways. Yeah, oh, you know? great point. You're, yeah. you know, you're lost hiking. You know, oh, gosh, I guess we're lost. What should we do? Let's panic and run in every direction. Or let's right. not. Right. So, uh, great, great, great point. A really good point. You're right. <laughs> I need to change my thinking a little bit on that one. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. So we just come back to presence no matter what. So if you're about to go off a cliff, you come back to presence. Yeah. At least you'll be conscious while you fall. It's That's like, right. you know, the sky's quite nice today. <laughs> but, and you know, what else are you going to do? Is, is there, um, is there a situation in an organization where you realize that oh my God, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that are totally unconscious. They seem to be uh, inoculated against uh, the right way to do business. And you have to realize, you have to be conscious of, it's time for me to move on and find another organization. Yeah, I, I believe so. I, I think the way that I look at that with people is if you're finding that everybody around, it, it's a negative, toxic organization and you don't feel good when you walk in the door, um, and you're not feeling like you can grow, you're not feeling on purpose, like all these different pieces, or it just feels like the, the organization is more devoted to gossip and bureaucracy and all these things than it is to what's important to you and your own personal values, uh, then I would say, yeah, that's probably not a great fit for you in that organization. The one thing that I would say, though, is make sure before you make that kind of a decision that you really look at yourself. You really do your own work around it and looking at how are you showing up, um, how are you doing with making requests? You know, so if you have a lot of complaints underneath every complaint is just an uncommunicated request. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where are you doing everything you can to bring your best self to the table, to be accountable for the impact that you're creating, for being accountable for your own results? You know, are you doing everything you can to make the right requests in relationship with people? Um, one of the things I found is that presence begets presence just like busy begets busy, right? So if I'm present, if everybody around me is in their own thing and whatever's happening, if I can stop and get present and then bring that quality of presence to the people that I'm talking to, nine times out of 10, that presence will command more presence around me. So that's another way that I'm contagious. Doesn't always work. Not, you know, none of this stuff, even in the book, nothing is a perfect equation. It doesn't always guarantee the results we're talking about. But nine times out of 10, that will create a positive shift. Um, 
So you just want to look before you make a decision like, oh, this organization is toxic. I don't feel good here. I hate my job. Just look at, are you doing everything you can to make sure, have you done your own work first so that you, you know, make a really conscious, intentional choice? Yeah. And I think also with people that they think they're stuck in that role, they think they're, oh my God, it's either it's got to be this way or I quit. They never look at, well, you know what, if I'm planning on quitting anyways, what's, where's the fear factor? Now I don't have to worry about going to my boss because he may fire me. He's like, right. well, I'm quitting anyways, so get right. over that part. And then, right. you know, goes back to be conscious. It's like, oh, actually, I had a great conversation with my boss and he brought up a bunch of stuff about how he's frustrated and how can we work together? Suddenly I'm very excited about working in this organization. Oh, it's, it's so true. No, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, just the the power of just having a present conscious conversation where you start to even name assumptions that you have, you know, so I imagine, you know, in that scenario going in and talking to your boss and saying something as openly and you're already ready to leave, right? So mm. saying something as openly as, you know, I feel like I'm not able to uh, do my best work here, or I feel like I'm not able to, you know, I'm not being well used, or or I feel like I'm not valued in the organization, or whatever. Like even just naming something like that and naming assumptions opens up a new level of connection and intimacy in that conversation that will probably open up, you know, a new kind of relationship or not. You know, it might they might shut you down and go, yeah, you're not valued. Yeah, we can't stand having you here. And then you got your answer, like you already knew it anyway. So um, the other piece is that, you know you take yourself with you. Mm. So if you don't do your work, if you're in a relationship right now or you're in an organization or a job or whatever, and you just leave it because it's toxic and it doesn't feel good and it's not, you know, it's not good enough and you leave, but you don't do your self-reflection. You don't look at how you're showing up, how you're taking care of yourself, how you're contributing to that. If you don't do your own work, you take yourself with you and you will create that same circumstance in the next relationship or company you work for. You'll create it again and again and again until you get that life lesson. Hmm. It's scary, but it's once again, you got to be able to take responsibility of your life and you got to take responsibility of basically the people around you. And it's like you're saying, if you have a bad relationship and you're constantly having the same type of bad relationship for the same reasons, probably it's not the other person, it's you. Right. I mean, definitely. I, I, um, I had a mentor who once told me, you know, uh, when you point your finger out at somebody, you know, if you do it right now, point your finger out, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Oh, <laughs> nice. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And you also so, have an obtuse thumb. The saying, you you're going weird energy to the right as well. Right. right. So, so you, so the thing is, is that that, that's really great because, if I keep, and I see this all the time, Bob, when people contact me, they always, you know, they're, God, if my team was better, if my spouse was better, if my kids were better, if my boyfriend was, like, whatever. If whoever else out there that I'm pointing my finger at was better or easier to work with, my life would be so much easier. And <laughs> maybe, sure, you know, however, if I am at the mercy of everybody else showing up in a certain way so that I can feel well used and happy in my life, I'm, I'm screwed. Like that, that, that's a really powerless place to be. So if I can instead look at those three fingers pointing back at me and go, actually, I have some power here. How do I need to shift how I'm showing up to change that dynamic? Or where do I need to disengage from a relationship? Or where do I need to hold better boundaries? I, there's always, there's always, everybody listen to this, look at anything that doesn't feel good to you. You want to look at what's the request that's underneath that complaint and how are you contributing to that exact situation, even if you feel like you can't see it right now? You're contributing in some way, even if that's that you haven't held a boundary, you're not making a request, or you're not looking truly at how you're showing up in the energy you're contributing to that dynamic. Always. We always have power. I, and I think, that, I, think that is, I think that is so um, hopeful. I, I find that so uh, exciting and inspiring and liberating because now I'm no longer a victim to all the circumstances around me of this person who's not showing up the way I want them to show up. I still have choice. You know, being conscious, I just realized that on your book cover, you've got all these post-its and it's got all these uh, speaking bubbles, but there's, there's one that's a thought <laughs> bubble. How did that sneak in there? You you know what, I, Bob? You guys, I got to give you some kind of an award. You are the first person, you're the first person who's interviewed me about this book that has noticed that. Or has spoken to it at least. Maybe they've noticed it, but you're the first person. Um, so that was really, really intentional. That little thought bubble is, you know, it works both ways. That thought bubble is somebody has a thought or makes an assumption 
You know, a lot of times in an organization with the culture, it's the they, you know, like they'll never let us do that. They hold us down. They won't allow for this or whatever the, whatever the assumption, the belief is, it gets made. A thought is thought and then it gets spoken. And then before you know it, it ripples and more people start to take on that thinking. Um, it works the other way too, where somebody says something and you start to have uh, a lot of little side conversations and, and what I call the opposite of direct engagement, which I can talk about in a minute, but you have the opposite of direct engagement. And then all of a sudden you start to get into groupthink, and this new way of thinking in the organization gets created. And so that's the other part of contagious culture is our thoughts, the, the, the thoughts that we have, the way we communicate them. And then also the way that we communicate impacts the thoughts that we have. Hmm. So it's always working together. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. Because yeah, if, if you think about like, think about the thought, you know, if you think about, shoot, think about your day to day, just think, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure your schedule is rich as is mine and anybody listening to this, you know? So if you think about your day to day and you look at your calendar, I'll, I'll use myself. I can have the experience of looking at my calendar day. I'm, I'm pretty stacked. I'm nice and I'm nice and I'm very richly scheduled today, as I like to say. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't use the word busy because the word busy to me is exhausting. I, I, the minute I start to think about busy, my body, my physiology starts to change. And I realized years ago that word does not support me. So instead I look at my schedule and I can either go, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I can't believe all this stuff. What, how am I going to get through today? Da, da, da. And I can get myself worked up mentally with my thoughts about this. Or I can look at my schedule and go, wow, this is a really richly scheduled day. Look at all these opportunities for impact. I get to talk to Bob. I get to do this. I get to do that. And I can completely change my physiology and my relationship with my day before my day even starts. Now, I promise you, whichever one I choose, you know, going that fork in the road, whichever one I choose, if I choose the chaotic one and I start thinking there, I'm going to start attracting situations into my day all day long that are going to make my day feel busier and more chaotic and more stressful and whatnot. And it's going to impact the way that my in insights work, which is going to impact the way that I show up with people, which is going to impact our conversations, which at the end of today, I'm more likely to feel exhausted on a Monday versus the flip side, which is, wow, I'm so excited. I get to have this call with Bob. Uh, wow. We just went through, we had a little glitch on technology. Look at this. We navigated it. Here we are. We're still on, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. I'm afraid okay. so. <laughs> I, I went, oh, no, I'm getting on a roll again. Uh, oh, no, I've, I've got PTSD from our last time. So, you know, and then I can look at it like every single call, I do a quick reboot, you know, and a reboot is just noticing your energy, noticing your presence, noticing what you need, making sure that you've got, you know, your water and, you know, if you need to stretch or whatever, do a quick reboot. And I set an intention before I go into my next call. And now I'm able to be fully present. And I'm able to create more of the impact I want on that call. And by the end of the day, instead of feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, I feel really, really well used and ready for like a nice glass of wine. So it's, it's the mindset, whatever my mind, whatever I choose to think of, wherever I choose to believe about my day is going to have a huge impact on how I feel internally and also how I impact others externally. Hmm, so true. Let's talk a little bit about scheduling. And, you know, that's not the subject of the book, but I think it, it's critically important. I feel that people overschedule and mm -hmm. and they've got this wonderful calendar that they use and, and whatever mechanism they use, even if it's like a piece of paper with a pencil, it doesn't really matter. Where they fail in their scheduling, number one is they don't schedule for uh, transportation mm -hmm. and number two is they don't schedule for a break between the schedule right. because right. it's like it's so easy to say, oh yeah, you know, from 9 to 10 and then from 10 to 11. The world isn't perfect, guys. Right. Give yourself 15 minutes for stuff to hit the fan and be cleaned up because then when you're in the middle of something else, you can say, hey, it's okay. I got the 15-minute buffer. No right. big deal. And then right. it can catch up. And if you've got that all the way through the day, I'm constantly putting travel time. And sometimes my travel time, even though it's a 15-minute travel time, I'll give myself half an hour. I'll give myself a whole hour. And if I get to the de destination faster, then I can relax and I can have a coffee and I can, right. you know, check my email or whatever. Those are bonus chunks of time in my day if my day is completely chock-a-block. And I think that is a major problem where people force anxiety on themselves because they're like, they're back to back. Boom. Sorry, it's your 10, 15. You're going to have to stop this one. It's like, ah. Right. And right. It, it'll escalate. So how do you, how do you manage that? Well, I, I would I would also add to that. I mean, I see this all the time where people are, you know, on so they don't have to get in a car and go anywhere, but they're just going from office to office. And even, you know, I've got one company that I work with and they've got multiple uh it's like a campus, you know, and so <laughs> 
the meeting ends at 11. They're supposed to be in the next one at 12. You know, it takes 15 minutes to get over there. So then by the time they get there, now everybody's broken time integrity. Everybody's, uh, you know, irritated because people are late and they, you know, so it just, it, it's a ripple effect. Um, so here's, here's how I handle that. I do what you do around scheduling in time for travel. Um, schedule, I also schedule in white space. So one of the things that I hear people talk about all the time, and, and I have done this myself and it's frightening, is there's so much scheduling that there's no time to actually think or do the work that needs to be done from all those great meetings. And so I will have people, there are a couple of things I'll ask people to do. One is instead of doing 60-minute meetings, I want them to do 45 or 50-minute meetings. That's one thing. So they automatically have that. And there's a couple companies I've worked with that have changed the culture around that. So their meetings are just now automatically 50 minutes. They shifted them on their um, Google invites. So it automatically goes, it's a 50-minute meeting. Or if they're used to doing 30-minute meetings, can they make them 20 or 25? Uh, So that's one thing. The second thing is to make sure that every single person that's in that meeting is supposed to be in that meeting and that it's going to be the best use of their time. So being really, really conscious about, you know, before you accept that meeting invite, should I be in this meeting? Who needs to be in this meeting? Um, Is this really going to be the best use of me? Or can we make this a little bit tighter? So that's another is just being more intentional about that. Uh, The other piece that I'll do is have them plan a presence reboot in between. So that presence reboot is before you even walk into your next meeting. You know, you've completed the last, so you write your final notes to yourself or whatever about your next step. So you can feel like you can kind of close the container on that last meeting. Then you do a presence reboot, you know, like, how am I feeling? What do I need right now? Okay, great. I need to use the bathroom. I've got to grab some water. I need to just stretch a little bit. And then you set an intention before you walk into that next meeting. So when I think about an intention, I'm always looking at what are the outcomes I want to get out of this next 50 minutes? Uh, and how do I want to show up? Those are the two things I'm always looking at. And I might also look at how do I want to feel? Because if I can intend how I want to feel, you know, I want to feel present. I want to feel curious. I want to feel really, um, I want to feel accountable. If I can set that intention, then that's going to impact how my physiology and how I show up in that meeting. So that's another piece that we'll do. And then I would come back again to really being conscious about scheduling in that white space. So with clients, I'll have them schedule in a day of white space, at least a quarter. I want them to do more, but sometimes I know it's really tough. So one day, one day of white space where you're going to do nothing but just think and dream and connect with yourself. Um, if I really get my way, then I, they actually are scheduling in white space every single week. So they might chunk out, you know, Friday afternoons from two to four is white space time. Or we've had teams who've actually said, you know, uh, between you know, 10 and 12, that's, you know, white space time. And then from 12 to one is lunch. And then one to five is project team time. So it's, you can really, you have to think about your organization, your cadence and everything, but you really can be more intentional about how you schedule time so that you guys are more productive. Hmm. I love that. I think I'm going to call mine green space. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Because you you get to grow, you get to relax, you can be in a field. I love it. Well, and, and, the, and the thing, it's counterintuitive, right? Because anybody listening to this is going to go, oh, that's lovely. How nice for them that Bob and Anise get white and green space. <laughs> you know, ooh, la, la, that's so great. But, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I feel like I feel the same way about uh, white space and green space that I do about self-care. We don't have time not to do it. We have to do it. As, as leaders and having the responsibility we have to create impact in the world, we have to take care of ourselves and we also have to create space so that we can be and think and vision and, you know, actually make the stuff happen that needs to happen. Because if we load ourselves up and we're just busy, we're, we, we lose productivity. Um, we lose productivity and we lose time. I had a client who came to me one day and he goes, Anise, I realized that I had 40 hours of meetings last week. And he goes, and then I realized that if I cut each of those meetings down to 50 minutes, I got seven hours of my life back. For anybody listening, maybe it's not white space or green space or cutting your meetings down, but what is the littlest thing that you can do to start to create a little bit more space and grace around yourself so that you can breathe and you can be more intentional about your impact? Well, also, if you're in 40 hours a week of meetings, you've got a messed up organization, dude. Because you you may think you're getting a lot of stuff done, but like the way I work my meetings... um, is we'll do if let's say it's an hour meeting so 45 minutes in i'll say great let's talk about actions like the meeting stops just right there even if somebody's in the middle of a a really important story it's like after 45 minutes if you haven't figured it out yet you're never going to figure it out and then it's like okay who's doing the who's doing the notes 
and because you know there's there's no such thing as secretaries anymore there's just people that like doing that and and I'll call somebody and say Frank I know you love doing that can you do that for us as a team and they'll go yeah sure I'll do that great when can you get that to us because then I want everybody to look through the notes and then get back to you about anything that you may have missed or something that they don't understand they're going to add it to it and we usually use uh, Google Docs so you can make comments blah 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 then I know within half an hour or depending on who gets the assignment or a day, you get a pretty uh, robust response to that because they, they action it right away. I mean, basically, it's like, great, you're doing that. See ya. And they're, they're allowed to leave the meeting early and then say, OK, guys, any anything else that we need to discuss that has nothing to do with Joe because he's off there helping us do a better job. Knowing that those notes are coming means that there's accountability to all the BS that you brought up in that meeting because you were talking too much. Realize, And you do that two or three times, suddenly people really start talking about things that they know they can actually do. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that that's doing is that's freeing up their brains to be more present because they're not worrying the whole meeting of like, oh, I got to catch this. Oh, I got to remember this. I got to remember this because they know that they're going to have a nice capture at the end. So it, you know, a lot of times when I'll talk or I'll do a session, I'll tell people, don't worry about taking notes. If you hear something that you absolutely have to capture, write it on a post-it, but don't worry about it. Give yourself the gift of being super present right now and showing up hundred percent so we can be as productive as possible. And then at the end, you know, you'll get notes from the session or you'll get my deck or whatever, um, because you want to free up their brain to be able to be more present. Cause then you, cause then I think, honestly, I think you can cut those meetings down from an hour to 30 minutes. We can just be more productive. Um, one other thing I would add a build for that is at the beginning of every meeting, you know, so they know that they've got the notes coming at the end, but at the beginning, having everybody set intentions, um, there's a, a framework called five steps to intentional impact. And if every person, if you just did it for yourself, that to me is a game changer, you know? So I'll do that at the beginning of every day before I start off. Um, and then you can do it before your meetings too. You can do it before any project. And it's really, really simple. You look at what are the outcomes you want to create from this meeting? What is the emotional impact you want to have? You know, how do you want people to feel? How do you want to feel? Then you look at how are you going to have to show up to create those outcomes and that impact? Then you look at what will you have to believe about those people, the meeting, the product, whatever it is you're working on. And then finally, what are the actions to make it all real? And if you do that for yourself, major bonus, there's gold in there. If you actually had your entire team do that at the beginning and you made sure you guys were aligned around what you were trying to get done and how you guys wanted to feel, that also is a, a meeting optimizer. Hmm. Okay, well then I wanted to ask you, since this is a nice segue on time, um, What's the best way for people to read the book? And on top of that, if people are too cramped for time and they're in a Barnes & Nobles, they, they grab the book, what is the best chapter for them to jump into? Oh, that's such a good question. Bob, that's a hard question. I know. Um, <laughs> you can handle it. I know. I can handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, violently looking at my table of contents right now. Um, <laughs> So the so the best re, so we'll start with the first one. I'm going to stall a little bit. The, <laughs> the best way to read the book is to uh, start at the beginning. Literally start at the beginning and work your way from part one to part two to part three. And as you read it, do the exercises at the end. I very intentionally I wrote this book super intentionally. It's it takes an inside out approach to culture and leadership. So a lot of times people want to start with culture and leadership. They want to start with external things, you know, so foosball tables, uh, corp, you know, corporate initiatives, lunches, like all these cultural initiatives that are going to make the culture better or, you know, looking at how they're going to change leadership, you know, externally in their company. But instead, I took the inside out approach. So it really starts with you. So the first part is just in defining, you know, what showing up actually means to you, not to me, not to Bob, but to you, what it means for you personally, getting clear on that. And then it builds, it look, you know, it looks at you personally in your own IEP, which IEP is just intentional energetic presence, which is basically how you show up as a leader. So it's looking at you and your IEP and helping you build a strong IEP. Then it goes into you and your leadership skills. 
Then by part four, now we're actually looking at how you interact with your team. And in five, we're actually looking at like case studies and how people have used this in their cultures. So the best way to read the book is to start really doing the work for yourself because by the time you get to the end of the book, you're already creating culture shift because you should, you, you will be showing up differently um, in whatever way that means for you. The other piece I want to add about that is that when I talk about culture, and this is really, I really want people to get this. When I talk about culture, people automatically go to corporate culture, organizational culture, their companies. Yes, absolutely. And I'm also talking about your family culture, your friendships, you know, the culture that we have in our heads. We're constantly, we're constantly cultivating our own internal culture of how we see the world, you know, what we believe, how we're showing up. So I look at, you know, if you, that one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I've gotten on this book and this content in general is people don't realize like how much what they thought was going on in their organizations is actually happening in their families as well. And the common denominator again is always them. So read the book from the beginning, do the exercises. If you, you know, if you're in a rush to read it, skim it, it's also on audible, it's on Kindle and all these things, but you could just even, go and do the exercise at, each, at the end of each chapter, which again, were really, really intentionally crafted to help support that content in the chapter. Um, if you absolutely cannot read the whole book and you have to read one chapter, Bob. Well, let's do it this way then, because if somebody is that desperate for time, what is the chapter they'll read so they get it and will make the time so they can read the rest of the book? I think they better read part one. <laughs> The fundamentals of showing up, and I, and, and now I'm totally cheating. Do you like that little sneak? Yeah, I, I yeah. A chapter, <laughs> um, part one, and here's what I would say. I would say look at chapter one, holding your fate, getting you know, because chapter one and chapter two, they're they're pretty short chapters. They talk about what holding your fate means, which means you are driving. You are the driver here, and if you don't have the time this re to read this book, it's kind of like um, you know that that what's that saying? If you have time to meditate, meditate for. 20 minutes. If you don't have time, meditate for three hours or something. Do you know that saying? Yep. It's, it's the same idea. Also, if they're really, really busy, they could look at chapter 11, which is outgracing busy and burnout and other leadership optimizers. If they're really, really wanting more on how to impact their meetings and making, you know, engagements a little bit more life-giving and not soul-sucking, they could look at chapter 13. Uh, section four is all about cultural things to look for. And I, I was really excited about there are some really good tables that look at healthy cultural behaviors and toxic cultural behaviors. And so that's an interesting thing if they're really wanting to get the culture piece and just dive into that. But I promise you, if you just dive in at the end, it's fine. You'll get some good stuff, but it's going to be more powerful if you're actually more present and aware of how you're showing up and how you're taking care of yourself. Okay. Another important, another important one, Bob, is chapter three, which is super <laughs> short, but it's the leadership trifecta. You know, so years ago, I noticed that there were three kinds of leaders that would come to me. One was great at creating impact, but they were burnout. You know, their health was failing, their relationships were failing, they were exhausted, but they got stuff done. The other one was somebody who was great at self care. You know, took really good care of themselves, nine to five, great work life balance, but they were really ineffective at creating impact. And the other type of leader was somebody who was awesome at creating impact, really great at self-care, but they left dead bodies everywhere they went, hmm. you know? So people followed them because they had a J-O-B and they had to follow them for a paycheck, but they, the people didn't feel inspired. You know, the leader would get stuff done, but it was at the expense of the way that people around them felt. And so the, you know, the, the, I started to create what's called now the leadership trifecta, which is you've got to have self-care, you've got to have the ability to create impact, and you have to have the ability to bring people with you. And so if any of those are missing, we, what I found is that we all have one of those that we're really, really good at, um, another one that we're pretty good at, and then one that we kind of let go. Um, and what I find a lot of times is the one we let go is the self-care piece. So basically, that's the book. <laughs> there you go, folks. Yeah, there's page 14 and page 27. <laughs> Other than that, the rest is all gold. Here's, here, here's one way to answer that. Intuitively, for anybody who really just wants to quickly... Just intuitively pick something that looks interesting to you and dive in there and then see where it takes you. Exactly. You can't explore the book. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about a TLA, which is a three-letter acronym you have in a book, which is IEP. What is IEP? Great. So IEP is Intentional Energetic Presence. And I think of this in two ways. The first is just being really intentional about the presence that you bring into every room, every situation you're in. So it's just literally intentional, energetic presence. 
Uh, the other way that I look at this is I break it down into those three words. So there's your intention, which is what you want to have happen, you know, being very clear and decisive about this is what I want to have happen. There's your energy, which is, uh, you know, the energy that you bring to the table, but also the energy you have from your own self-care so that you could sustain yourself, you know, so that you feel good, so that you have the vitality and the energy to do all the great things you want to make happen. And then the third component is presence, which a lot of people think of presence as just stage presence or presence in the moment or very zen or whatever. I look at presence really holistically. I look at it as you know, obviously how you show up and your physical presence and your leadership presence. But I also look at it as how present you are to this moment right now, you and I here together, how present am I to you as a human being? And then also how present am I to what's happening in my life right now? Am I present and honest with myself about my impact and what's happening and all these different pieces? So you put those together and you've got what I've come to call over the years, IEP. What's one thing that people can do today to move forward other than just buying the book? Yes, please buy the book. And if you didn't, I believe, I've been doing this work for many, many years, mm -hmm. and I believe that leadership uh, and presence is about 70% of it is awareness. So, you know, just having the awareness after listening of questioning, how am I showing up? What is the energy and intention I'm bringing into the room when I go into any conversation, even with my three-year-old? You know, how am I, what am I bringing to that conversation? That's one piece. The other piece is just setting an intention to show up the way that you want to show up. It's, it sounds so simple, Bob, and I find it is one of the biggest return on investment activities we can do is just taking a moment to go, my presence has impact. I have impact here. How, what do I want that impact to be? And I find that that helps internally calm the person who's practicing that and be more intentional about how they want to feel. And I also find that it, it impacts the people that are around them. So that's one, one thing. Wow. One last question. Who the heck is Dwayne? Oh, Dwayne, Dwayne Bray. I'm actually talking to him later today. Dwayne is the, uh, he's a partner and global head of talent at IDEO. And IDEO is a a remarkable, remarkable company. Awesome, awesome design and innovation firm. Great intentions around impact. And, you know, they're just completely devoted to creating great design and impacting amazing things through through design. I'm going to completely butcher that for him because you <laughs> caught me off guard. Anyway, Dwayne is awesome. Dwayne is a, uh, I've worked with IDEO for many, many, many years as a uh, thinking partner and working with them around culture and leadership and all that. And Dwayne has been one of my main partners in that company. And he wrote the forward for the book. So when you first started working with Dwayne, what was his problem? That's a tough question. I know, but I know Dwayne can, he can handle it. You know what? Actually, no, what I would say is this. When I first started working with that company, um, I was brought in to help them around leadership and collaboration. And that, that developed into a really, you know, it's been a nine year partnership now um, where we've just been working on building their um, skills around leadership and talent and building their culture to be even better. I mean, they already have a, they're, they're a phenomenal, phenomenal company. They've got a phenomenal culture and it's really been about optimization for them. Wow. So, so he got it right away and then got totally excited. You know, he and I started together more intensively years ago and he talks about the Bikram room. I went out to do a couple day session with them and it was really looking at how do they optimize their culture and their innovation and creativity and collaboration. How do they, how do they get even better at it by, uh, empowering more people in the company to have a mindset around leadership and how they show up and everything. And so they've, that, that company's done a really beautiful job of integrating this content into its processes. What motivated you to write the book? Was it working with organizations like that or, or was it just something that you say, you know what, I really need to get this book out? So I've been doing this work on my own since 2002. I started my company in 2002 and it just kept building and evolving and evolving. And then it really started to take off in 2009. Um, and in 2009, I started to realize that if I didn't bring the IEP work into leadership and teamwork, um, that I was actually doing the company a disservice. So, because originally what would happen is people would say, oh, we want to do feedback training and leadership training and whatnot. And uh, I'd say, great. I want to work with them around their their energy and their presence and how intentional they are. And they go, no, 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 no. That's the soft stuff. We don't we don't have time for that. We we just want the skills. And so pre two thousand nine, I'd say, okay, well let's let's try that. And we would do it. And um and then you know that leadership training or that feedback training would take us like eight hours. You know, and 
post, and I started to realize that without the IEP work and without people being really clear about how they were showing up and their intentions around things, that we, you know, we were, I was doing them, it was, it was a big disservice. And so in 2009, I started saying, there's no way I'm doing anything with you unless we can talk about the IEP component. And if we can talk about that, we're going to save you time in your training. And that's what ended up happening. We could turn that feedback training from, you know, six to eight hours, we could get it down to like two because people were clear about their own intentions. They were clear about the energy they brought in. They were clear about their impact. And so that was, that was one really important piece. And then, you know, ever since 2009, it's just been growing and growing and growing. And then people started to ask me, where's the book? Where's the book? Where's the book? And then, uh, finally, uh, I guess it would have been almost, it was, well, it was about a year and a half ago now, I guess I, um, was speaking and met with a publisher afterwards and they said, let's get the book done. So we wrote it. I d- the main motivation, I think, Bob, is just I wanted to get this content into as many people's hands as possible who might never be in a room with me, might never have this content in their company, might never be able to attend a workshop, but they could use it. And then the other piece was, um, ironically, as much as this is a book about culture, this is a book about being a human being and how we create what we want in our lives. So it's this could have been a business book. This could have been a personal book. It, it happens to be a business book because I've got a lot of expertise in organizations. But this is to me, this is just about humans. You know, when you were putting the book together, you're a pretty smart lady. Um, and you've been doing this for, gosh, years and years and years. What was your aha moment when something you realized was already true, but then you had this bedrock understanding and you go, wow, now I totally get that. <laughs> Uh, that's another amazing, awesome question. I, the first thing that comes up for me was how much this stuff works. Because when I was putting this book together, I was also going through a major life change. I was, uh, moving homes. I was, uh, taking my company global. So I was doing a lot of, uh, overseas travel. Um, the book we wrote on a pretty tight timeline and the way that I got through all of that and survived it and felt really actually energized and alive and great at the end of the year was because I practiced the things that I was talking about. And so in writing each of the chapters, what I found was there were things in IEP that I didn't even realize were important before that I now was getting a new experience of. So that was, you know, and, and, and I would say another thing that was with my kids. So I've got a 10 year old and a 15 year old. And so, you know, being a mom, like all, you know, all these different pieces, there's so much beauty in that. And there's so many moving pieces and you have to hold your space, you know, so I had to hold my space. And so ironically, writing this book actually challenged my own IEP in ways I, I, I couldn't have even imagined before my mindset, my intentions, my self-care, um, you know, the stories that I made up about, it was my, this was my first book with a big house. And so, you know, I had, assumptions of what it would be like versus what, you know, like what it was and where I needed to show up differently and like all these different pieces. So yeah, I would say I'd have to be selfish on that one and say what surprised me the most was how much I was tested myself in the content as I was writing it. Hmm. You know what? I I think you should do a follow-up book called Contagious Teens because I need it. I need that book right now. It's so interesting. People like they want contagious teens, contagious divorce. Contagious. <laughs> Sounds like a series. You might have a very happy publisher. Like, <laughs> book might. 27, Contagious Dogs. <laughs> contagious. Yes, contagious, contagious smoothies, everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we've been chatting with Anis Kavanaugh today. Contagious culture. Show up set the tone, and intentionally create an organization that thrives. Anise, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we didn't reschedule. This has been, I'm glad we kept going. It's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter, at Bob Garlic. Visit the website, businessbooktalk.com, for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.